This morning, the gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is right after Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to the devil, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, And said to him, all of these I will give you, if only you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left Jesus, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Friends, this is the gospel of our Christ. Thanks be to God. I wish that I could have found it. I tried to find who first said this pearl of wisdom that has guided me for an awful long time. I got on the Google, I looked it up, I couldn't figure it out. But I bet you know this saying as well as I. Lord, lead me not into temptation. I can get there just fine all by myself. I don't know about you, but I do a pretty good job of pushing the limits. I mean, I think it's fun to get in my kayak and go jump off of 25-foot waterfalls. I think that's fun. Some people think that's pushing the boundaries of sanity. We push up, we, we love to push up against the rules. We push up against whether we really want to care for folks that are struggling to make do. We push up against whether we really want to share at all. And you notice I'm being kind of vague. Sometimes it's better not to get too accusing for fear that I might learn more than I need to know when somebody comes out after worship and says, Ooh, preacher, you were preaching to me today. Today's first Sunday in Lent. Typically, on the first Sunday of Lent, we would hear this reading of Jesus being tempted by Satan after he's been baptized, after the Holy Spirit of God has driven him out into the wilderness to be tempted to fast and to pray, to hear from God about what this mission he is to be about is going to be. And on this first Sunday of Lent, that reading is typically paired with the story of Adam and Eve being tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Now, in both of these stories from Scripture, we're presented with an antagonist suggesting that you and I should do something that we have been told 
is against the rules, not necessarily in our best interest. Now, what's fascinating to me is that we even have a saying that perpetuates our belief that if we do that thing, that thing that we've been told we shouldn't do, and then we do it anyway, well, you probably know this saying too. Well, it wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. That's where it comes from. But in saying that, we fail to own our own accountability. We don't own up to the fact that we, on a regular basis, succumb to temptation. That we really do fail to live as God calls us to. And so we come into worship week after week and we beg God's forgiveness. So let's take a few minutes this morning and unpack what's going on in these stories. In the Genesis story... The temptation by the serpent, now notice that it's a serpent. It doesn't really say it's a snake, but we all know that that's what it is. And we also know that Eve wasn't afraid of the snake when the snake came up to tempt her. And so things really do change because all of us would be scared if a snake came up and started talking to us. But also notice what the story says. This isn't Satan. This isn't the devil. This is just the most crafty of all the animals that God created. And that crafty animal slithered down out of the tree to ask the question, Did God really tell you not to eat that? Now notice what Eve says when she answers the question. Because she embellishes it. Not only does she say, God told you not to eat of the tree of knowledge, but not to even look at it or you will die. And that crafty serpent says to her, Oh, you won't die? Trust me. No, you won't die. If you eat of the tree of knowledge, you're going to be like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. What the serpent doesn't tell us is that with that knowledge comes the misconception that we have the intellect to do everything all by ourselves. That we can do anything that we set our mind to and that we don't need God at all. With knowledge, not only do we gain intellect, but we also gain guilt and shame, awareness and brokenness, and ultimately alienation from the creator so instead of being like God as the serpent promised us we choose to replace God with self thus alienating ourselves from the God who longs to be in relationship with us now you remember in the garden it was every afternoon that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve just to see how the day had gone God longing to be in relationship with creation but by eating of the tree of knowledge, we create a dynamic in which we believe that we're too good for God. Theologically, we refer to this as the fall, that we have fallen out of relationship with God, that relationship that God desired to share with us. And because of our choosing knowledge, we're exiled from the garden and are alienated from God. 
In the Matthew reading, Jesus encounters Satan in the wilderness. In the wilderness to fast and pray and to be in relationship with God. But Satan comes to Jesus and says that he needs to prove who he is. That's the way we read it. If you are the Son of God, do this. What's fascinating is that this is another one of those idiosyncrasies in the Greek. It doesn't translate well out of the Greek into English if you do it this way. It is correct to say, if you are the Son of God, then do this, if-then statement. But there's another way you can translate this out of the Greek. It's just not as clean. And the other way is instead of asking, if you are the Son of God, do this, to state it, because you are the Son of God, do this. You see, the question for Satan is not for Jesus to prove whether he is the Son of God or not. The temptation that Satan is placing before Jesus is to prove that he has the ability to use the powers that Satan knows that he has. It's not a question of who Jesus is. It's whether Jesus is going to be subservient to God or be the God that Satan knows that Jesus is. The temptation is the same one that the serpent offered to Adam and Eve. If you will do these things that I'm tempting you with, you can be just like God. The temptation that Satan is offering Jesus, okay, Jesus, deny your humanity. Reclaim your place with God. Claim your divinity again. You know, I know who you are. You know who you are. Do what you know you're capable of doing. Forget this thing that God has asked you to do of showing humanity what it is to be in perfect relationship with God. They don't want to know about that. All of these temptations that Satan offers to Jesus, they're just variations on the theme. Make bread out of stone. Throw yourself off of the temple. The angels are going to save you. Take control of humanity as their political leader. You know that's what they want you to do. Go ahead, Jesus. Prove that you are as much a creator as God by making this rock turn into a loaf of bread. Come on, Jesus. Prove that you really are divine because it's written that if you are God, that you cannot suffer. And you can throw yourself off of the temple and nothing is going to happen to you. And you know that really all these people want is for you to be the ruler, to conquer their enemies, to make yourself king, usher in the kingdom that they want. You know you can do it. And yet Jesus, at every temptation is able to say, that's not why God created me. That's not why God sent me. You only serve God. That's what we were created to do. Now what's fascinating is that you and I are still susceptible to want Jesus to do all these same things today. We still put our trust in political leaders trusting that they're going to do the right thing because that's what we think. We believe that Jesus will feed the hungry with no help from us. We don't have to do that because Jesus will do it. 
And we'd like to believe that Jesus didn't really have to suffer on the cross at all because we really don't want to have to suffer either. You and I live in a world that really does believe that we can solve all of our problems. It was the modernist way of thinking. Science will save us. The arts and the humanities will save us. And yet, time and again, we prove to ourselves that we can't save ourselves. And we wind up in that same place again, asking God to forgive us and give us another chance. And if we can't make that confession, then we might say, well, the devil made me do it. So the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that even in our brokenness, even on this first Sunday of the season of Lent, this Sunday after Ash Wednesday, where we are reminded that we are dust and only created by God, but that to dust we shall return, that on this Sunday, the good news still exists that Jesus Christ is our constant, that Jesus Christ is the visible sign of God's saving grace for all of humanity, and that even though we succumb to temptation, Jesus did not. Unlike the humans in the garden, Jesus rejects the temptations and remains faithful to God and to the mission of saving us from our own sinful ways. Proving again that God really does want to be in relationship with us. The temptations that we face today, that belief that we can do it better than God can, that belief that our ways are better than God's ways, is still not true. So turning away the temptation of turning away from the work that God calls us to because we get distracted by something shining or something that pays better or something that benefits us personally, instead of committing to the work of the kingdom of God that lifts up the brokenhearted and reaches out to the poor and the broken, lead me not into temptation, Lord, for I've got plenty good falling into it all by myself. It is in some ways a modern, real, live affirmation of our own brokenness. And so I would suggest that maybe a prayer that I use in Lent might be helpful, helpful to all of you as well, that as we struggle with the temptations that we face in life, the prayer from Scripture, Lord, I believe... Help my unbelief. It is the prayer that sustained the faithful for generation upon generation. Temptations will always exist. The opportunity to fall away from the God who claims us and longs to be in relationship with us will always be there. To practice claiming that relationship with God, to be reminded that God longs for us and forgives us. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Amen.